right, well, that story takes us back into the book of Luke. Um, you may, if you've been around for a while, you know that we spent uh, the better part of, of 2018 in the book of Luke. We started last year in, uh, for Advent. We walked through uh, Luke 1 and 2, and then we, we went all the way up into May walking through uh, the first few chapters of Luke, getting into chapter 10, and then we paused for the summer, and we, we spent our summer doing the Questioning God series. And so uh, today we are back, and um, we will stay in the book of Luke um, right up until this year's Advent. And so there's a lot of rich, challenging um, diverse content that is coming in the next few weeks, and I'm excited to be back in this, this beautiful gospel. As we've seen, really what, what Luke has been walking us through is uh, really a picture of what it looks like for the kingdom to come on earth. Here in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to see that, that Jesus teaches us, and we all know like, that, that part of the Lord's Prayer is that we pray that uh, God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, Right? And then we know that in Luke uh, 2, we heard the angels announce that it was good news, right? And glad tidings of great joy, um, peace on earth, and goodwill towards men as, as a Savior had indeed been born. And so we, we kind of Christmas up that, that announcement, and we just think about it in those realms. But if you think about what they're actually saying is like, hey, the Savior has come to earth. Like God's kingdom has come. And, and so what we've seen in Luke is really a, a radical look at life from Jesus. As he comes and, and begins to uh, do ministry, um, he is challenging every presupposition that especially the religious people had, but really the way the culture had been set amongst everyone and those who they reject and those whom they embrace. And Jesus is turning all of that seemingly on its head with the way that he teaches, the way that he is, is performing miracles. Um, and really the people that he's accepting and embracing and the ones that he's challenging, it seems like Jesus is uh, turning things really upside down. But in reality, what we see is that Jesus is actually here to, to begin the process of turning the world right side up, that he's beginning the process of ret- reconciling the broken world unto himself and moving toward what we're going to find in Revelation 21 whenever all things are set right. And once again, the, the kingdom of God is is fully known and experienced here on earth as God dwells with man and all things are put right and every tear is wiped away and God's dwelling place is once again with man. That's, that's what's happening is Jesus is actually undoing what is broken and yet Man, it is radical, and it takes some catching up to kind of understand all that is going on in these stories. And so today's story in, um, is, a, is a pretty famous one with Mary and Martha. It's a, it's a kind of a less controversial um, passage than a lot of the, the times whenever Jesus is challenging presuppositions. He's coming at the religious people, and he's really uh, getting at some things that are really uh, controversial politically and socially, but today it's a, it's just a little bit more personally, right? It's just Jesus is going to challenge the difference between kind of being busy and serving and just kind of chilling, right? And and so it's not as big of a hot button issue, and yet through this story, Jesus is going to make some really prolific and um, extraordinary claims and uh, truths um, imposed upon us for life. And so what we see is that. Um, I mean, once again, and here's, here's where we miss stories like this. Because oftentimes we come to the Bible, um, Jesus promised to give us abundant life, right? Like we, we, we kind of know that. And so a lot of times we're motivated to open the Bible to kind of like we want God to help us. But what we do is we, we oftentimes come to the Bible with our own definition of abundant life, don't we? 
Like we, we have things that we want God to help us with. And so we come to the Bible expecting to find some, some nuggets of wisdom, some things that will kind of move us a little further down the road or give us some energy to keep going or whatever it may be. Like we often come with our own agenda, our own idea of what abundant life should look like. And we're just hoping that God will, will uh, you know, feed that agenda and kind of help us down the road. But what we often find is that the, the counsel of the scriptures is seemingly counterintuitive. That in fact, the gospel is paradoxical in the way that uh, we've seen earlier in Luke where Jesus says, those who want to find their life, those who seek to save their life, what are they going to do? They're going to lose it. They're going to give it away. Right? But those who give it away, who say, Lord, it's all yours. I don't need anything for my own namesake. Those are the ones that actually find joy and find what Jesus would call abundant life. And so um, this story is much like that, where it is, it is counterintuitive, and yet it is good not only for God's glory but for our own joy in life. And so what happens is Jesus is, uh, we know he's on his way to Jerusalem now. Uh, there is a full-fledged following and opposition to Jesus. There is a plot to kill him. There are many enemies, and yet there are also an increasing amount of followers, and he has been doing ministry in, in the region um, surrounding where he grew up, and then in Galilee, and now he's headed toward Jerusalem. And along the way, he stops in a small town called Bethany, and um, and he goes to a familiar place um, for him, a place that he that he stops at at least more than once with some folks that were um, we become to get more and more familiar with with Mary, Martha, and we'll find uh, their brother Lazarus, who Jesus raises from the dead in another story. And as he shows up in this story, what we see is that uh, we, we've got two different reactions to him showing up from the two sisters. So G- Jesus shows up, um, entered their village, and Martha welcomes him in. So no doubt there was a buzz. Jesus is headed this way. She goes out and says, Jesus, why don't you come and, and rest in my place, and we would love to provide for you a meal. We would love for you to just dwell here, and Jesus loves them. And so he heads in there, and what we find is that um, she has one reaction to Jesus showing up, and her sister has a completely different reaction. And what I want you to do before we kind of get into this, I want you to think about what would you do if you were them? What did mama teach you to do whenever somebody important came over to your house? Right? When any guest came to your house, there's certain protocols, right? Shove stuff under the couch, like get, you know, like tidy things up, like don't let them in, don't let them in, you know, like so there's any protocols when anybody shows up, but when somebody important, when somebody of prestige comes, then then we we know like we, we need to act a certain way and we need to serve them, respond a certain way. So I want you to think about like how would you respond to this kind of uh, a drop in from it's not just, not just Peter the fisherman here, right? It's not just some common folks. This is Jesus. This is the one in whom all the buzz is about. This is the one in whom uh, the, the Pharisees are trying to kill, and yet we think he might actually overthrow Rome. Like, this is, this is could he be the Messiah? This is, everybody is whispering in, in a buzz about this man, and he has showed up to your house. How would you respond? And what we see is, Verse 39, Martha had a sister called Mary, and she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And so the first thing we see here from this, um, from this story is, is these two polar opposites 
uh, approaches. And, and what, really, what we have is, is, is Martha, very com- like a, a very common and respectable reaction to the greatness of Jesus showing up at her house, where she is wanting to serve him, uh, provide uh, some refreshments for him, get the house in order, make sure that he can have a night where he uh, enjoys himself and, and is able to rest. Uh, but what we see is that uh, Mary takes a different approach, and that leads to this tension where uh, Martha then indicts not only her sister, but also Jesus for allowing her to sit there and listen to his teaching. And what this does is give Jesus a chance to remind her of the truth that he'd really been displaying over and over and over again in his ministry. Like Jesus had taught these things, he lived these things out, but when it came to bear in her house, Martha needed some help knowing how to live it out. And we're all like that, right? Like we, we get the big ideas of the gospel a lot of times. Like we, we can sit in church and nod along with these truths. And yeah, that's right. That's how we should live our life. But then when it comes down to the details, right? When it gets to be Monday morning or, or Friday afternoon and, and, and you're, you know, you're fed up with the, with the kids or your, your job or whatever it may be, like it, it, we need a little bit of help getting the gospel into our life, right? Like getting into the actual practical areas, and that's what Jesus is going to do uh, very gently, is going to correct Martha during this time. And really the first thing that he teaches us in this, the first thing that this passage kind of brings out is, is a very simple and yet um, revolutionary claim in what the difference is between the, the religion and the gospel. So we're going to talk a lot more about this when we get to Luke chapter 15, but you're going to see this theme is, is threaded throughout, and we've already mentioned it earlier in the, in the book of Luke, but, but the, the temptation of all of us, by default, we want to try to earn God's favor, right? Like we want to try to do something that makes God love us, that makes God accept us. And that even though we know that the gospel is one of grace, right, that we're saved by grace through faith, that it's not of our own works, it's not what we do, but we still, like, if, if, like most of us, it's, it's difficult to... Um, receive something for free. Like we want to give something in return. We want to offer ourselves up. And, we want, and especially then when we fail God, we, we feel like we need to earn his favor back by, by serving him. And so what we see is that Martha's temptation to, to serve Jesus and to um, do all of these things is a very natural one, but it's a very um, anti-gospel one. And the, the truth that Jesus wants us to know that he just displays and lives out over and over and over again is that though religion, and man, religion, like Jesus is going to come against religious people over and over again in the Gospel of Luke. But religion says that we need to serve and obey in order to be accepted. The Gospel, on the other hand, says that Jesus has done all that we need to be accepted, and he's given to that as, as a gift, and that we get to serve and obey because we are accepted. And then you'll see, even as, as you begin to, as you keep reading in the New Testament, that though there are a lot of commands about what we should do and how we should live life, those commands always come after truths about who God is. In theological terms, it was like indicatives always precede the imperative. So there's going to be imperatives. There's going to be commands about what we should do. But those never come until we're really sure and been told about who God is. So it's never that there's these imperatives so that we can be in God's presence. There's these things we have to do in order to earn God's favor. It's quite the opposite. This is who God is. This is what he's done for you so that you can be in his presence, so that his favor can be bestowed on you through Jesus, through the gospel. And now that, now that you know that truth, now that you can rest in that and your identity is formed, now this is how you should live your life. This is how you should live that out. And so we don't 
We don't obey in order to be accepted. We obey because we already are accepted. We're accepted and therefore we get to obey. And so uh, that's one of the first truths is, is religion says, man, it's up to me to earn God's favor through works and through different things that we do. The gospel says Jesus has earned God's favor on our behalf. Through his grace, we get to enjoy God's favor. And the reason that Jesus confronts us and what we see it play out in Martha's life is that when we base our identity on what we do, we base our standing before God on the things that we do for God, what happens is we don't, that doesn't lead us to joy. That's going to lead us, A, to self-righteousness, where we're going to feel puffed up and, and, and proud of what we've done. But then secondly, it's going to lead us to have indignation and judgment toward other people. When our identity is wrapped up in, when my, present, my, my standing before God is based on what I do, and I feel like I'm doing pretty well, then I'm going to have judgment and disdain for anybody who is not doing what I do. Right? And this is what we see from Martha, isn't it? We see that, that um, the, the, Luke sets it up so beautifully when he, when he says, you know, Mary's just sitting at the Lord's feet, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? And you got to listen, you got to hear the tone there. You got to picture this. The Lord comes in and, and Mary's just sitting there soaking it up, which is revolutionary, by the way. Like it is not a common thing for women to be able to sit at the feet of a rabbi. Um, and I wish I had more time to even unpack that. But this, this idea that, that Mary just gets to sit at the feet of Jesus and to, to be taught theology. Je- like, a lot of people don't know what to do with the Bible and, and women in the Bible. Like, they don't know what to do with what, what is God really, like, we, they think the Bible's views are oppressive of women. and account- Like, what you need to see from Jesus is that he is actually a, a, a revolutionary when it comes to how women are treated. And, and that he is leading us into a, a beautiful way of, of valuing and dignifying women. And this is one of those examples where she is allowed to sit at his feet and she is not rebuked. In fact, the one who is rebuking her gets rebuked. And so Mary is sitting there enjoying Jesus' teaching, sitting at his feet like a disciple would, like someone who's following. Like, like, that's very common for a teacher to sit down and his disciples to gather around and to hear his teaching. And that's where Mary puts herself. And, and Martha I want you to just imagine her now. She, there's a meal to be cooked. There's a house to be clean. There's a table to be set, whatever it may be. And she just begins to seethe more and more and more. Have you experienced this? Where you're just like, oh, how dare they? Like I, I picture she's probably like clanging p- pots really loudly just so everybody knows. Like just so, just so everybody knows that, that she's serving. She's probably mumbling under her breath. Like, I got it. Don't worry about it. I got it. I'll get it. You just sit right there. Like that kind of posture is just boiling up in her. To the point that she comes and not only does she indict her sister, she indicts Jesus. Right? We see this in verse, verse uh, 40. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her. Tell her to help me. Jesus, first of all, hey, notice what I'm doing here. Hello. Second of all, get her off her butt. There's indignation here, like, and that's what religion does to us. Like, if we are basing our righteousness with God on what we do and how we live our life, then we're going to have that kind of disdain and judgment toward those who don't live their life the way we do. Right? And that's, that, that doesn't lead to joy. That leads to all kinds of other evils and, and discontentment and self-righteousness. Listen, Mary... 
I don't know how intentionally or consciously, but she's chosen to honor Jesus far more than her sister Martha. It's certainly a good thing to want to serve Jesus and to to prepare a a meal for the Lord. Like, these aren't bad things that Martha is doing. But Mary has chosen what Jesus is going to call the better portion because she is honoring him for who he really is. He is not a God who needs our service or needs our acts or or relies upon our meal. Like, that's what I'm saying earlier. God doesn't need our money. When we give in Sunday service, it's not because God is poor and he needs us to give to him. Like, Like, that is never what God is doing. And that's why we have to know what's true about God before we do anything, give or serve at all. And what we see is that Mary is choosing to honor Jesus for who he really is by just setting and beholding. Mary knows that, listen, if Jesus is hungry, he can just speak some food into existence. Like, this is the guy that fed 5,000 with a little boy's lunch, right? Like, A meal is not a big deal to Jesus. If he's hungry, he'll either make something happen or he might tell her, hey, let's go fix some some food now or could you fix me? But she's just fixed on him as the giver of life, as the one who can be worshiped and trusted with all that they do. And in that posture of just sitting at his feet and listening to his teaching, she is far more honoring to who Jesus is, who he's claimed to be and who he's offered to be in our life than the one who's running around, serving anxiously, trying to offer something that is of worth. Again, this is a a theological truth that we can understand in principle, but in practice it becomes difficult for us to, to apply. But Jesus looks at Martha with her indignation, and he, with love, he gently corrects her for her own good. Because see, though Martha is serving and she's doing good things, she's missing out on what Jesus, is, Jesus says is the only necessary thing. He says, Martha, Martha, verse 41, you are anxious. Like there's tenderness in that. She's coming. Listen, there's all kinds of wisdom here about a soft answer turns away wrath, which is a proper. But listen, she's angry, and Jesus doesn't meet her there with her anger. He, instead, he gently he says, Martha. Martha, hey, you're, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion. So, though we may not consider ourselves religious and struggling with earning God's approval through deed, we are all like Mary in that we are distracted with much serving, that we are anxious and we are troubled. And this is what Jesus is going to push against that. And it's the second thing we want to look at is when Jesus says that she is anxious and troubled, we want to hear that warning. And, and again, though it may not be with the serving and the doing things, just like Martha, like we have to understand that we are, um, man, we are so much more distracted and so much more troubled and more anxious. It's easy to kind of judge Martha, right, in this story and to look back and just hold them up as two different ways of living. And you've even probably heard people like, well, she's more of a Martha type, right? Like, she's, she's a server. Like, she's going to do things. She's anxious. Like, and, and then somebody else that's more contemplative, more of a Mary type. I, I don't think that's necessarily the point of this text here is to hold up uh, them in those kind of juxtaposed uh, postures toward Jesus. It's, it's more to show that the invitation of, of the Lord here is to embrace what matters. And what he's calling out in Martha is that she's way too distracted and way too caught up in things that ultimately don't matter. And so, um, but 
before we judge her, like we got to understand she's doing good things, right? She's doing good, right things that really need to be done. It's not like she's distracted with sinful um, things that, that, that don't matter at all. Like these are things that need to happen. And, and for those of you who are like type A, like you need to understand that Jesus here, like if, if he... Like if he just makes you sit down, like some of you are going to be totally cool with that. You're like, great, I didn't want to do that anyway. Others of you, like if, if he makes Martha sit down and listen to him, like she's going to start twitching, right? Like she's going to be like, yeah, but, like she's going to be looking at the kitchen. Yeah, but I, like, j- j- just hold on. Let me like, let, many of you, like you're, 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 you're like that and you can't just let something go. Like you have to check off your list before you can uh, get to whatever it may be, right? Whatever it is, like, no, 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 I, I have to do this first. And, and, and we got to understand, that's where Martha is. Like, she's not, like, she is not the rebel here that doesn't love Jesus. I think, actually, there's probably an angst to Martha that she wants to be able to sit at Jesus' feet too, right? I think she's like, no, I, I want to be able to learn too. I want to be able to sit there too, but I need to get these things done first. Okay, so it's not that she doesn't care about enjoying Jesus. She thinks that these other things are more important, and I think that's where a lot of us can relate. Like, we're often faced with a choice to, whether, to either worship God, right, in, in the everyday part of our lives, or to get the stuff on our list done. Like, and here's the thing. When it comes to our life, there's a whole lot of things that feel like they have to be done. Right? As, I, as I talk to different folks, and here's when we talk about something like community group. There are many of you that are like, yeah, I, I, but I just, I just don't see where I have the time in my schedule. And we're just too busy, and we've got this going on, and this sport, and that activity, and I'm, I'm working late on all of these days. Like, and it's just easy to go like, yeah, but I have these things that I have to do. And you know, community group, and being known, and those, that, that seems like an option. Like, it would be a good thing. Like, I want to do that. And maybe someday I'll have the time to do that. But right now, like, I have to do these things, right? Like, th- this is what's priority. And, and there's so many things in our life that, that feel like they have to be done. And a lot of times it feels like the walls are closing in on us, right? Like, with all of the things that are demanded of us from schools and work and relationships and family and what, whatever it may be in church. Like, and, and it can feel like it's just overwhelming. And that's what Jesus says. Listen, you are anxious and troubled about many Many things. He says, in, in, in that you're going to miss the most important thing. And then for us, like not only is there natural things like Mary, just responsibilities, but now we have our day and age in which we live whenever everything is instant, right? Our, our culture's love affair with fast. There's fast food. There's fast everything. Like we don't have to go into the store now. It's just a crazy thing. My wife orders stuff, and then we pull up to Target, and they bring it out to us. It's crazy. I like it. But it's crazy. Everything is so fast, and everything is right at our fingertips. And we, like, now because of cell phones, like, they, they've, they've completely ruined our ability to just be still or just to, like, be present in the moment. Like, we can't even wait in line. Like, we can't wait for something to start. We can't even use the restroom without taking our phone. Y'all ever try that? It's weird, man. You'll just be like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You start twitching. Like, that's, where, that's where, where we've come to. Like, we have to have it. Where is it? I don't know. I, le- I left my phone. I got to go back home. I can't do my day without my phone. Like, we're constantly, uh, and we got that thing where you just feel it vibrate all the time. How many times do you take, it, take out your phone? Like, oh, I know. Like, I, I'm convinced I heard that thing. I'm convinced I felt that thing. Like, they have taken over our life, and, it, and it's this inability to let anything go and, and really to be present in the moment, which is interesting, given the prediction that was made um, 
back in the 1960s about how technology would, would actually change our culture. Time magazine noted that, that back in the 60s, uh, there was an expert testimony given to a subcommittee of the Senate. And, and they were talking about time management in light of the technology that was coming down the road. And they basically were saying that because of the advances that were coming in technology, that people would very soon, in the next 20 years or so, have to stop working so much. Because they were saying, literally, people will be finishing their work with such efficiency that they're, they're going to have to figure something else out. They're going to have to work fewer hours in a day or maybe fewer weeks in a year because they won't have anything to do. They'll be finishing their work so fast. The real challenge, this is a true story, the real challenge, they said, will be what to do with all of the free time. That's funny. Because how's that working out for us some 50 years later? Right? Here's what technology has done to a lot of us. This is what our computer screens look like. It's not about efficiency. It's about 47 tabs open at all times, right? And I don't even know where to start and all, the, all of that. Like Our lives, our minds live in that realm where there's, there's so many tabs open and there's so many things to do. And we, to just be still, to be present in the moment feels unnerving. It feels unnatural. So do you find a bunch of people that are actually just... You can click to the next slide, otherwise people are just going to be reading that email. <laughs> do we find ourselves just tasked to all the free time? Like, what am I going to do? Is that the reality? Is that what has happened, or has it been a, a totally different effect? <laughs> I think an easy way to look at it is, what's the number one thing that people say whenever you ask them how life's going, or how they are? How you doing? Oh, I'm what? I'm busy. Right? I'm busy. It's crazy. Life's busy, right? Like that, that's just, a, it's just like a default answer. Like who's not busy? Like that's an easier question to answer. Like that's just the world we live in and it feels so true and it feels like that's the reality of all the things that we have to do. But the reality is like it's not about being disciplined to just get through the task more. Like that's what a lot of us feel like. Yeah, you're right. I got to get better at my task. I got to get more efficient so that I can get to these things. But what Jesus is saying here. And really what, you can read a lot, of, there's a lot of talk on this in the, in the secular world even, in the psychology and, and, and different, there's TED Talks on it, all kinds of things. The reality is, like, busy is a myth. Like, if you're busy, it's because you chose to be busy. Because the truth is, you'll do what you want to do. Right? Like, if you want to do something, you'll make time for that. That's pretty easy to understand, right? Like, if you actually want to do something, if it's a priority in your life, you will make time for it. The reality is, like, busy is, we're busy because we chose to be busy. And we would say, well, what about this? And what about the kids? And what about the sports? And what about the school? And what about the overtime at work? What about, like, I can't walk away? It feels like our life is just full of a whole list of things that we can't walk away from or no, like, Martha's like, yeah, but if I sit down, no one is doing this. She's not doing this. So, like, no one is doing this. And Jesus, somebody has to do this. And Jesus gently says, hey, I created all this. You think you're doing, like, all of this holds together by the words that I speak. Not with your efforts, Martha. You need to rest. Only one thing matters, Martha. I know you think all those things need to get done, but only one thing matters, and Mary's actually chosen that better thing. We 
feel like the walls are closing in us when we get behind because, and listen, I understand there are consequences for not getting everything done. There are things that have to be done, and if they don't, then it will affect the way we live. But we, so we feel like there's danger in letting those things not get done. There's danger in disengaging. There's danger in, in taking time for the Lord whenever we don't have, like, I get it. I get it. I get that committing to another night of the week to do community group or, or setting aside 20 minutes a day to read your Bible. Like you don't see how there's time in that. You don't see how you can function in life. We feel like the danger is we let any of that stuff go and it's all going to collapse on us. What Jesus is saying is the real danger is that we're going to get so busy with this stuff that we're going to fail to actually live our life. That we're going to miss out on living life. John Orberg put it, puts it this way. He says, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we'll become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we'll settle for a mediocre version of it. That we will just skim our lives rather than living them. We are, like Martha, anxious and troubled about many things. But Martha doesn't need to just be told to sit down and listen to Jesus. Again, I think if Jesus does that, man, she's, she's no more present than she was up doing things because her mind's just running. And so for many of you, you think, okay, what I need to do to love Jesus better, I need to, I need to do this quiet time thing. And you just add that to your list. And you're like, okay, here's my list. I got to put that in. And you're just like, okay, I check that off. But really the invitation of Jesus is to be present in the moment. It's to, it's to actually enjoy him for what he is which is the king of kings and the provider. And so what she needs is not just discipline or not just instruction to, hey, sit down and enjoy this. What she needs is a reordering of her loves. Like she needs to be called out and she needs to understand what really matters. What she needs is perspective, which is what Jesus gets at whenever he says, hey, she's chosen the good portion. And what Jesus says is not only is the good portion, but it's the part that will not be taken from her. And what he's doing in that moment is he's giving her perspective. He's going, hey, hey, Martha, what's going to matter in eternity? Who did the chores? Who set and beheld the king of kings? Who set and drank in the word of God? Like, which one's going to last? You're not doing bad things, Martha, but in the grand scheme of things, we need, to, we need to lower those things way down, and you need to understand that in your midst is the giver of life, the great I am, the fount of living water, the great shepherd. Like You need to understand that because of your busyness, you're missing out on the, the best thing, the good portion, as he says. So the key to following Jesus better and learning to abide isn't it just about discipline and figuring out how to work it into your schedule. It's about gaining perspective and understanding what ultimately matters. I think this picture is helpful for a lot of us about what, what, those who get to enjoy life and those who are just caught up with so many other things. We got, um, get that picture of the dog. Yeah, there we go. So true, right? Like we're sitting there thinking about a thousand other things. If you can't see that, the guy's thinking about a car. Not a good car, by the way. Like if I'm daydreaming, it ain't about a Toyota, I'll tell you that, right? <laughs> I'm totally stealing Neil Clayton's jokes. Neil helps me put sermons and illustrations together, and he, he totally, thank you, Neil. That uh, was his joke. 
And this guy's thinking about a new house and a trip he's going to take and, and more money he can make. And, and, and he's not able to enjoy the moment. And the dog, right? The dog's just happy to be there. The dog's just happy to be with the one he loves. Right? His mind's not somewhere else. He's not thinking about what's coming next. He's just there in the moment. And that's the invitation of Jesus is to push those things aside and to just be with our Father. Be with the one whom we love. Be with the one who our hearts long for. It doesn't matter what's not getting done. It doesn't matter how big the task is. The task list is piling up. The invitation is just to sit at his feet and behold. At his feet, that's where a disciple belongs. She, Mary has chosen the thing that for eternity will not be taken from her. It's kind of like, like when we think about it, it, it's the choices we make. Like I said, when it, really being busy is a choice. And so often we're dealing with what we've got right in front of us. Like, well, I got to do all these things. I got to do all these things. When oftentimes what we need is we need to stop, set all that aside and step back. And go, okay, what really matters? What really matters? What's going to last what am I really called to? I know I got this to do, and I know that that's coming, but I need to take 30 minutes and just go, Lord, what really matters? Maybe you get out a journal, and you write things down, and it's kind of like that old illustration of people putting in the big rocks into the jar first, right? So you put in all those little things, all the tasks you got to do, and then you realize, man, i got no room left for this. So you don't let that happen. You put in the big things first. You put in the things that matter most first. You budget Time with Jesus first. You plan on worshiping him first. You don't let anything else get into your schedule that's going to interfere with how you spend your time with the Lord. And then you're able to do all those other things. It's kind of like Jesus knew what he was talking about whenever he said in Matthew 6, 33, that you should what? Seek you first the kingdom of heaven, right? And all these things will be added to you. You seek to... Run after Jesus and get Jesus, and you'll get life. You'll get the other things. Forget how C.S. Lewis put it, but a beautiful way. Like, if we just aim for the stars, then, man, we might not get any of it. Like, we miss, we're going to get it. But if we aim for the, for the sun, like, we're, we'll get that and the stars thrown in. Like, we'll get, if we get the main thing locked in, the other things will get added, and, and we'll find that will get provided for, the task will get done, bills will get paid, the job will get worked, our kids. Like, but if we, for, if we do it the opposite, if we think we're going to get to Jesus after we get our list done, if we're going to get to obeying and, and setting with and being transformed by the Lord. Like if you, wanna, you want your life to get better, so much of your life. Like how many of you are anxious about like, man, I really wish I'd stop doing this or I wish I'd get better at this or I wish I'd... Like, I wish I could change in this way, right? Like, we, we live in that world. Like, there's all this pressure. Like, yeah, I know. And one day, I hope I'll, I'll be healthier, or maybe I'll work out more, or maybe I'll be a more efficient worker. I'll get to work earlier. I'll stop staying so late, or whatever. You fill in the blank. I'll get this out. Like, if you just keep chasing after those things, and you think, okay, when I get this, I'll be able to serve the Lord in this way. When I get to this point, I'll be able to do this. Like, Jesus says, no, no, stop it. Stop. Just sit here. Just sit here and look at my face. Listen to my teaching. Drink in my word. And that's where he says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that, that we are now with unveiled face beholding the, the glory of Jesus. And that as we do that, and, and listen, that's not because we got through the veil. We didn't work our way to God. 
The gospel, like Jesus' work on the cross, tore that veil open, and now we're able to behold and gaze and worship Jesus for all that he is. And he says, as you do that, you're being transformed. So you want want your life to change? You want to get better at your marriage? You want to get better at your job? You want to uh, follow Jesus better? Like, worship Jesus. Like, that's the the big E on the I chart. Like, don't think you'll do all these things and then get to, like, no, worship Jesus. And you'll be changed and transformed from the inside out. That's why Mary's chosen the better portion. It's not that Jesus is never going to ask Mary to serve. Of course she is. We're going to see that later in the crucifixion story. Like these, these women are both integral parts of the mission of Jesus as they go forward. It's not that he's never going to ask her to serve. It's just that before he commissions us to serve, he, inv- he invites us to just be present. He invites us to just be known, to be loved by him. And that's where that's where it's so counterintuitive. It's where it's so against what we feel like is natural. But Jesus is offering us to, to choose the better thing. So our encouragement to you from this text is to make time with the Lord. Like, don't leave it to see if you get around to it. Budget it first in your schedule. What that, and that doesn't mean, for a lot of people, you're like, all right, that's right. I got to get up at 4.30 in the morning. Read my Bible. And I'm just going to tell you, for a lot of you, that's not going to go well. You ain't going to get up. And if you do, you're going to go back to sleep reading the Bible. Okay? Others of you, that works really well. Okay? Some of you are disciplined, wired that way, and that's great. More power to you. May your tribe increase. But for a lot of you, like, it doesn't mean where you do it in your day. Okay? It's about how you prioritize it in your life. So you may do it at 10 or 11 at night if you're a night. You may do it, like you may be on, you know, second or third shift. You may do it at a completely odd time of the day. But what matters is you say, this is what I do first. This is what I do first and foremost. And nothing else will affect this time. I will, no matter what else I do today, I will do this. And I got to tell you, like, for me, this has been convicting even this, this week, even this morning as I think about it. I'm, I'm by nature, I'm more of a, more of a Mary I'm really good with being contemplative and reading and, and, and just setting and simmering in things. I want to understand everything before I go do anything. But I realize that in serving the Lord and being in vocational ministry that I've not done well at just sitting and beholding and setting and treasuring Jesus and his word. My, and, I, and I got to think about my kids. Like my kids know that mommy and daddy serve at the church, and they know that we're at the church a lot, right? Like today, we got journey kids training, and we got we're coming back to the community groups. Like so my kids know we're going to be here a lot, and so they know we serve Jesus. We know whatever, but like, I'm afraid we're going through motions, and we're not talking about the richness of beholding and dwelling with Jesus. So I've been convicted. Like I got to work on that. Like I got to get better at the Deuteronomy six thing of just like talking about and being present with Jesus and talking about God and the day that the ins and outs of our life as we come and as we go, like to just drink in and show our kids how like Jesus is present in the everyday things, which a lot of times is going to look like modeling repentance for them, reading with them, talking about how uh, the things we enjoy in our life are good gifts from Jesus. Like all of those things I realize, like I've got to I've, I've drifted into just the doing stuff. Like, I'm doing a lot for the Lord, so I feel like I'm good. Like, the invitation is for me to step back from that and to just be with him. Like, I'm no good to you as a pastor if all I'm doing is going through motions. 
Robert Murray McShane says that what, he was a, a Scottish pastor um, a few hundred years ago, and one of the things he said is that what, what my people need from me as a pastor, what they need most is my personal holiness. And I have to be reminded of that. Another time he said is, what a man is before God on his knees, that he is and nothing more. I thought, man, like I need to remember that. Like I need to know that it doesn't matter how good I preach or how big our church gets or what kind of ministries we're doing. Like when I kneel before the Lord, that is what I am. His son, his loved, and none of those other credentials make it into the the presence of the Lord. They just don't matter. I got to remind myself of that. I got to set that truth. And that's really the offer of the gospel through this story of Mary and Martha. So I'd encourage you to set aside some time. And then when you do that, don't fill it with doing. Don't feel like you got to get through this book in this time or do this thing or, or whatever, work through this study. Like, don't fill it with a bunch of things. Like, make some time, set aside some time in that to just dwell, to just be still and know that he is God, as the scripture says. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful for the gospel. Good news that I don't have to um, I don't have to earn any of your favor. And it's all given through the gospel of Jesus. Thank you for that truth. And I pray that this morning you would help us to respond to you, help us to see the offer of the gospel as we come face to face with a time of response. Will we go through motions or will we lean in and just be with you? Father, for those that, that maybe are here and they've never experienced the, the joy of letting you take their sin away and seeing it nailed to the cross and taken away from their shoulders and onto your own and you saying, child, you're free. Child, you are born again. If they've never experienced the salvation that comes through you, Lord, would you give them the faith to respond this morning and they would be um, born again into new life. For those of us, Lord, that have known you for years and we often drift back into a, Mar- a Martha-like posture, Lord, would you just gently call us back to sitting at your feet enjoying your presence and worshiping you and letting you transform us. That's our hope and our prayer. Give us faith as we respond today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.